mensen en welkom to season 2 of Your Mom with Skulk. Yo, feels good to be back, eh? So much has happened since we've been gone, but don't worry, we will get to all of that over the season. So what's new in season 2, you ask? I think you do. I, I mean, I don't, I don't know. Did you just ask that? I hope so. Because I know you all want something newer, something bigger, something better. Well, Mensa, didn't you also wonder what the mom's house looks like inside? Don't you sometimes crave to put a face to the sexy voice? I'm speaking about me. Well, now you can. We went and blew the whole fucking budget to bring you a video version as well, Mensa. As in the whole budget. Okay? I'm not even joking. Every single cent of this budget means that this is, if there was ever, if a podcast was ever a fucking labor of love, this is it, okay? Me and Neil, the producer, are on the brink of divorce. Our wives don't understand how we blow a whole budget to make the podcast and then there's left at the end. But this is how much we love you, Mensa. We want to bring you the best quality stuff just for you so please go to my youtube channel and check it out the audio and video are slightly different versions so you'll find some interesting things in the one that's not in the other and vice versa i think that's italian so now you can listen and watch Mensa, we've also got some amazing new guests this season, each with equally amazing stories. I'm not going to tell you who they are just yet. You're going to have to wait and see. Some things need to be a surprise, Mensa. Come on. But let me just tell you, we've got some colorful characters. And to kick things off today, we in Komiki to chat to one of South Africa's favorite musicians who is literally burning down the house. Ladies and gentlemen, put your hands together for Jeremy and Mama Loops. For that, our punishment ended up being 100 hours of community service at False Bay Hospital. Remember you, that? No, I wanted to. I wanted to be a nun. <laughs> My favorite mom of the podcast so far. This is so good. Hello, Mensa. It's Skulk Poseidon at and Welcome to another episode of Your Mom with Skulk. Hello. Is it Tani Brigitte? No. Sure. Yeah. Can I say Tani? I know you're not from South Africa, but... I find it difficult, but I accept. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, I find it difficult to just call you by your... Yeah, your first I know name. you're not really allowed. Yeah, you no. Know. Uh, they call her Mama Loops as well. <laughs> Mama Loops. Is this the fan base that, that call her that? Um, or who calls her that? That comes from way long ago. I remember how who called you that first. That was, you know, that artist Xavier Rudd from Australia. He's yes. a big artist. Yes. He came here and we Isn't took... Isn't that the beatboxer guy? No, yeah, he plays beatboxer. Yes. Um, what's it called? Didgeridoo and all yes. sorts of stuff. Yeah. He came here and we played a show at Curse Mosh together and then I took him missioning the one day and she packed us like snack boxes. Yeah. And then he was in his Australian accent saying, oh, Mama Loops, we love the food, Mama Loops. And that's that's where it started, right? Yeah. Yeah. Classic. Yeah, and just then it stuck. That's very cute. But let's let's start with Brigitte, Tani Brigitte. Where, where are you from? My accent has not changed yes in 45 years wow okay so it's been a while i've been here for 45 years yeah i'm from switzerland okay i brought up three kids who i was worried that they're gonna talk like me yeah but they don't well you never you didn't teach us any swiss german so we had no ability to talk like you so so me and you are talking in our second languages yeah. today 
Yes. You, you're <laughs> comfortable your in English. You're in your first language. I'm okay. I'm okay. <laughs> so you don't speak Swiss German at all? You don't uh-uh. know no, It's German. a very sore point. We were arguing before, should we bring this sore point up in the, pod, <laughs> in the podcast? We don't know. No, there's always been arguments back and forth. Why didn't she teach us Swiss German? Then we could have gone. And she says, no, she was learning to speak English when she came here. She was only 20 years old and she didn't, she, we've got family videos and my wow. dad's like trying to film her and make family content, but she's barely able to <laughs> say a few English words. It's classic. Um, so what brought you to South Africa? A broken heart. Oh, wow. Mm? We're getting into it oh, early yes. in the podcast. I love it. <laughs> Do you want a Prosecco <laughs> to, yes. to get into that? <laughs> yes. Yes, please. A broken heart. Who broke your heart? Brigitte? A boyfriend, a French-speaking boyfriend. It's always the French, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. And then my dad said, you need to leave. You need to, this just can't carry on. I can find you a job in America. I can find you a job in Spain. I can find you a job in Johannesburg. And then I said, I have to go to Johannesburg because otherwise I just come back again. Yeah, you have to go far. I have to go far. And I knew nothing about South Africa, zero. Also couldn't speak English. Yeah. So I went and then it was a sunny day. I think I arrived in maybe June or so. It was a sunny day outside. You remember the day? Yeah, and I remember. Okay. Um, I thought, oh, it's beautiful weather. I'm going to wear a summer dress. And I went out and it was freezing. Yeah. Joba can be deceiving like that. The sun can shine in the winter, but it's (laughs) freezing. Yeah, and that was my arrival. And then I worked in something which is absolutely not me in a bank. It's the opposite I would have what I thought. Yes, my dad thought (laughs) very Swiss, put her in a bank. Um but I waited on, only until the day I got my permanent residence. And the day I got it, I left. I, I don't know, I'm, I went to a party in, I think, I don't know where it was, in Greenpoint or so. Somebody invited me. And that's where I met Mike. Your husband? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I said, well, you must be it. Uh, do, you, do you want to marry me? Like, but You said this at the party still? Well, two, about two days later. Oh, two da- oh, no. oh, I went two days home later. with him. Yeah, okay. And like asked him two days later. And um, I said, look, you have to say now because if... Come on, it's been two days. Commit, yeah, <laughs> marry me, have my babies yes. or hit the road. Yeah, or I hit the road. I don't have time. That is that is the Swiss efficiency that they always talk about. Two days. Okay, listen, you need to put a ring on it or you stop wasting my time. I bought my own ring. Really? Mm. Even more efficient. I'm sorry, but you're just ticking every stereotype here. And then he phoned my dad if when he if he would number one just to marry say hello. me and <laughs> Yeah. Is he South African, Mike? Mike, uh, yes. from Benoni. From Benoni? My wife's from Benoni. 
And Shout you? out Benoni. And you? I'm from Kempton Park, next to Benoni. Yeah, you're all from there, isn't it? <laughs> you're all from there. What? How did you guys end up here? Dad, in Komiki, though, if Dad was from Benoni. These are stories. I'm, I didn't know it was two days that you basically asked him to marry him. These are new stories for me as well. <laughs> this was always you the risk. Curious. <clears throat> this was always the risk with uh, doing this podcast. My mom was very anxious. Everyone in the family is anxious because my mom is known for being very direct. And she just says it, what is in her mind as it's there. Yeah. And then sometimes because of um, the way you've learned English, I think you're the way you speak is also very direct. So everyone in the beginning said, oh, no, that mom would never want to do this. And but then I asked her, I was like, OK, that we're going to do you want to do this podcast? And also they're going to film it and everything. And she said, yeah, that's fine. And I said, OK, well, everyone was saying it would, wouldn't be possible. I even told Skulky that this is going to be difficult to get you over the line. And she said, no, that's everyone else that's worried, not me. And I was well, like, you know, OK, I well, think, I think it's very refreshing in 2023 that someone just says it like it is and doesn't tiptoe around everything, you know? So that's very refreshing well, to hear. I mean, it was obviously the right decision that yes. I said. And I said, and not only do I want to get married, I have to have children straight away. <laughs> even though <laughs> That was, was after four days. <laughs> yeah, even though I was so young, I just knew that I had to have these children. Yeah. What What can I ask? Um, what What... What was the drive inside you that made you feel like I, I need to have children? I want to. Is it just always since a little girl you no. just wanted to start a family? No, I wanted to. I wanted to be a nun. A nun. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Because I went to a convent school yeah. for one year, and I loved it there. You loved the nuns, and I loved the nuns. And then I thought, well, I'm but then you did the most unnun thing, yeah. which yes. would be. Going home with a guy from a party, asking him to marry you after two days and saying, I immediately want children. Yeah, it sounds like you got the wrong lessons from that <laughs> nunnery. <laughs> so let's talk about Jeremy. Um, you guys, was were you born in Komiki? Were you always here your whole life? In Cape Town, I was born. But yeah, we've in grown Greenpoint. up here in this very home. Yeah, I think we lived in Greenpoint for a couple of years and then they moved here. What did you, you guys got married here in Komiki, right? Yeah. At a little church just up church. the road. Wow. And then they, I think, bought this little house many, many years ago. And now we are, we grew up here in, in the village. I think this is my first time in Komiki, actually. And um, it felt like driving to Narnia. Like, I know Narnia, you just go mm -hmm. through a, a closet. But I felt like if you could drive to Narnia, this would be the drive to Narnia. It's, it's, like, here, yeah. it's long, it's beautiful, but when you get here, it's worth it. But it also has like this kind of magic about it in Komiki that you can't really explain. Well, we um, call it the lentil curtain. Yes. Yeah, it is definitely <laughs> beyond the lentil curtain. But we also eat different things than lentils. Yeah. So you guys grew up here and then tell me was, um, I mean, this is obviously like the obvious question to ask the mother of a musician, but was he musical at all uh, growing up, Jeremy? Um. A lot of people ask me that. Yeah. And I used to go to singing lessons when they were very small. I actually still go with the same people. Really? Yeah. <laughs> we gained a few, we lost a few, but we, we we're still singing. Wow. So I took Jeremy to singing lessons yes. with me quite often. 
so yeah. that Mike could handle the other two kids at home. Yes. And I just put him in the corner and say, sit here and play and read a book or go to sleep. And I don't know if he started to hear things then. Yes. I don't know. Um, but I think his music comes from himself, out of him. Yeah. And not out of me or somebody else. Or the singing lessons. So so the whole of school, not like music didn't really feature him. We bought him a piano at some stage. Yeah. Because we thought there is maybe some music in him. And yeah, he played I like listening to stuff in the car. Like we had long drives to school all the time. So I remember singing to whatever I could hear on the radio. I liked like harmonizing to stuff. But I didn't, I was quite disinterested in music. I think like a, like many young South African people, I just thought any career in the arts would be a for sure dead end to your single straight line to poverty. And so <laughs> yeah. I um, I never gave it too much mind. And I just thought that that's, if I want to, you know, the thing sing is- in the car, I'll sing in the car. I didn't, I, I wasn't writing songs or, you know, I had my sights to set on different stuff, I suppose. So what was your plan? So you're saying like in your mind, being an artist was like straight line to, to poverty, which I wanted to say it is, by the way, uh, yeah, for most people. Mostly still is. And, like that. And, and we just in the top, the, I don't know, the lucky I don't 1%. even want to say 10%. No, it's like definitely not 10%. To do, manage to find some fucking niche and then you like can do it full time for a living. Um, but so yeah. what was your plan? Yeah, what was my plan? I didn't, this is another thing we were discussing before we did the podcast. My mom was saying, do I, am I allowed to tell them about how naughty you were? Can I tell them about the house burning down? And I said, well, I think all of this did stuff. Did he burn this house down, Brigitte? I the said, whole house? Oh, mostly. Yes. <laughs> Most of it. I said, Most all of, of this it. stuff is allowed. It's the, you can say whatever you want <laughs> today. And so she's been given really a free reign to say whatever she wants. Because I listen, but, I listen now to some Jeremy loops on the way yeah and I mean there wasn't a single lyric that I heard that was sort of referencing that time I burned the house down and mama that time was I so actually mad. burned my house down <laughs> yeah I'm gonna let it burn what did he do did he do that thing where he shot the the match off the Thing and then it hit the curtain. I think it was either a towel on a heater, <laughs> yeah. either that Classic. or an electric blanket. Yeah. No, it, it was those synthetic white bell bottoms that burnt on the heater. That's where we go. From the uh, disco party I'd been at, but it was the heater. Yeah, it was a very unfortunate situation. <laughs> <laughs> And I, I had to drop him at Saks, which is quite the distance. Yeah. And Larissa to Rustenburg. I don't know where Celeste. No, so your kids went to school from here today. There. Yeah. Well, first we all went to primary school here in Konki, yeah, which was easy. Lekker. We all just yeah. walked to school. But then we went to high school. Then you guys entered a world of pain. Yeah. That's far. That's far to drive from Komiki to Rondebosch every day. Yeah. yeah and, you know, growing up in Korm, we had this idyllic lifestyle and we, we got to be like barefoot and long haired and the school didn't mind how we were showing up. 
and it was a co-ed school and very small little dorpy and like everyone was just happy and friendly and we used to even be allowed to go at PT we could go down to the beach as long as we were back by the end of the lesson so you could didn't even have to always be at PT you could just use PT to go to the beach those of us who were surfers and so there were all sorts of funny rules like that and or no rules and we loved it and then I was a year young for my standards so I was only 12 when I went to Saks and I got the rudest awakening of my life yeah. going to for the first time an all boys school with tradition and first team rugby short vibes hair. and yeah and short hair and I was also yeah young and I was with all these like much bigger burlier dudes who'd be already gone through puberty and I was rocking up like tiny little kid from Komiki with really and I was the only one all of the other com Homeschool. Homeschool, yeah, I've heard that. They too. all got to do homeschool because that was the popular thing at that age was so many of us were trying to be, we wanted to be pro surfers. So we were all surfing and begging our Oh, wow. So they, they did homeschooling because they literally, how many of them, probably quite a few. Yeah, I've it. got many, many friends. Well, again, made it as, yeah, this is one of those 1% <laughs> type industries as well, surfing. So, but yeah, most kids that grow up in Com end up wanting to surf and We've had a lot of famous, well, famous enough surfers come out of Komiki, but myself and one other Komskom had to go to real schools over the mountain. And that was quite painful for us at that age. We didn't know what was good for us yet. And do you still surf well? I still surf. I don't know if I surf well. I was always, I, but I've surfed my whole life. So yeah, I, I'm comfortable. I you spend, can stand. I spend you most of my- You can stand on the surfboard. Yeah, I spend most of my time- <laughs> in the water, whether it's like sailing, fishing, surfing. I love all the ocean sports and uh, spear fishing. I got into heavily at one stage. So I'm trying to always be in the ocean if I can be for sure. Are you, are you a big water person, Brigitte? Do you oh. love the ocean? No, no, well, we have a house in Vermaaklikate. Well, Vermaaklikate, yeah. And there is a beautiful river. She likes swimming in the river. And I love swimming in that river. Mm. But I mean, we do the question, how many times have you been in the ocean here in Komuki? Never. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Ricky, my favorite mom of the podcast literally, so far. This is so good. Literally but, never. And especially now that cold water swimming is all the, all the rage. Yeah. I heard the other day the whole of Scarborough Village on a Sunday or Saturday <laughs> all ran down there to do this fashion. Uh-huh. No, I could never. And that's one thing because like in the acting industry, a lot of the actors are doing it and they go in these little groups and they um, do these cold dips in the ocean. And I, I look at the Instagram posts and I don't feel – Feel nothing. Even a single bit of jealousy or missing no out, there. or I just, I in, in fact, I I pity them. I pity them. And do they will they live a little bit longer than us? Maybe an hour, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they maybe, can have that hour. Or maybe they die <laughs> straight away. Or they drown in that. the ocean. Who knows? You know, a cold shock. <laughs> <laughs> so where did you? Um, Jeremy, or let me ask Brigitte, when did Jeremy sort of get into music? Because it doesn't seem like in school really it featured much in his life. So he went to university. UCT. 
Yeah. Okay. Akis. Same, same yeah. Also. also. But I don't think he knew what he should study and he then studied. Can I guess? Sociology, BA in sociology <laughs> and psychology no, and philosophy. You're never going to get it. No, I studied a... I studied a business science degree in property development and finance. Oh uh, yeah, and I um, yeah I was I was so stuck because the you know my teenage years were quite horrific. Like sex didn't go so well for me, and I think I got but asked. You, but you finished, right? <laughs> you finished. No, I, I got asked to leave sex, and then we went to Redham. I went to Redham House in Takai, which was the yeah. first year that Redham opened when they were basically only receiving people on sports scholarships and mostly other, quite a few of the kind of rejects from other schools who... I can't that? remember that they asked you to leave. You can't remember that meeting? It was a painful day for you guys. I You've obviously that. blocked it out, Brigitte. I remember. Yeah, you and dad had to come to... You not remember? Why do you think I went to Redham? Because... Redham was then being built because in Switzerland oh. you don't get that school, those schools. Oh, what? Single sex? Single sex. You just, you can't choose. You just go to the village where you're born and there's no option. That's where you go, boys mm. and girls. Yes. So for me, when he had to wear this uniform, I think it was a tie in the boat that they called it, I think. To me, that was too much. So what were you doing that you got asked to leave? I mean, you had to like you, do some cuck. To, you obviously have blocked so much of this out of your memory. Do you, do you not, I mean, this, or is this strategic not mentioned on the pod? No, okay. I don't know that. No, it was that those teenage years was like in, if you grew up in Com, then you were immediately part of the Com Scorm, Com Scorm International, KSI. We always <laughs> took it very seriously back then. And these are uh, the guys, 783, it's our area code. Yeah, we tell you. And so uh, the guys <laughs> older than us, um, what so was the was name? The older Komskom in, in Yeah, sex. the older Komskom were like filming those videos called Silly Buggers, which were like semi-viral back in the day <laughs> of the guys I going, silly buggers, yeah. <laughs> the guys going down in trolleys down Slankorp mountain like no pads yeah, it was almost like jackass vibes, like yeah. flying off the side of the mountain like absolutely harrowingly dangerous like funny stunts of just like misfits down by the coast kind of dogtown and the z boys we yeah. were all skateboarding and surfing and that whole culture was strong here and so growing up in that you were always trying to kind of be a part of this mayhem in some way and the way that that was manifesting when i was a teenager other than all the normal silly buggering was like, we were all getting also into uh, the hip hop scene and we were going through to the city and going to those hip hop parties at the jam and we were getting into graffiti. And then, so then everyone was into graffiti at one stage and we were all befucked about that. Remember? That and then, I remember. Yeah. And so then I got caught doing graffiti on yes. the trains there in Fishhook. Bombing lines, it's called. It's like the naughty version of doing graffiti where if you do it on private property on walls, then at least if you get caught, the the, the police can go to the owner of the property and they yeah. can say, well, would you like to forget, let these boys off the hook and not press charges? And then they'd make a deal. Yeah, you must paint our walls or whatever. So the repercussions were slimmer. But then for bombing lines, the repercussions were more. And so then we got caught there, there in some harrowing story 
And then you had to come and get us out there of the cell. Yeah, we were in bed, Mike and me. Yeah. Like here. And I think a po- phone call from the police. We've got your son here. Like, come here immediately. And then Mike said. What time is this? Like, at in night. In the morning. Yeah. Two yeah. in the morning. Later. And then Mike said, well, you better go. You're better at this. <laughs> With your broken English. <laughs> no, by then I could maybe speak English. Okay. <laughs> my dad never wanted anything to do with all the naughty shenanigans at that age. And my mom was like endlessly tolerant with, with it. So he always sent you. Well, maybe. Anyway, you're also the I stricter came. one. You're the German one. I came and there they had him behind, I don't know what Bars. you call it. Not not behind bars yet, I think. No, we were just sitting at the back there in the cell in a holding bay. And then I said, quite clearly I remember, they said he was caught for doing graffiti. And uh, I said, well, I want to see this graffiti before <laughs> I, I sign any forms here. <laughs> to decide to decide if it's, because maybe it's good. And yeah, then maybe you, it's you're like, you made the train better. Yeah, (laughs) we were certainly aiming to uplift with art. I mean, it was not just pure rebellion at all. We thought we took for tourism. The tourists come in and they go, "Wow, look at these trains! These beautiful trains!" And remember these yellow, awful trains? Absolutely, you can't mess them up anymore. So I was sitting back there, hearing a kind of reason with them about what is the quality of this artwork, and we were laughing. But no, so just to cut a story short, though, your that then ended in a situation with us in the Simonstown court there. Now you've been to Simonstown. Yes. And we had to wear those suits and none of us had any suits. And so me and two others, I was just speaking to this guy the other night. I saw him at a house party and we were reminiscing about this because his mom was there behind us crying. She was so ashamed. And we were all in the front there with our secondhand suits. I don't know. I think I borrowed one from Grandpa Tom, my grandpa. Oh, you mean suits like... Yeah, we had to like the lawyer. We had to get a lawyer to represent us so that we didn't get criminal (laughs) charges because we were thankfully all under still young enough. We were sixteen, seventeen, you know. So we were there, but we had to get a lawyer. Mm. And so then the three moms of the three kids were all there lined up in the stand, and the judge was busy giving us like a chewing out about how we should care more about public property and this is very serious and what. And our lawyer was there, like, you know, no, it wasn't like a, anyways, I just remember you were there basically laughing in the we background. She thought it was scarf on, like, no. Yeah. And I just kept looking back like, I had to keep the scarf up here because I found this very funny. And, the and other I was like, women, she's going to get me a criminal record because she's in the back. <laughs> the judge is like, giggling. whose mom is that laughing? Yeah, which one? Your one. Okay. <laughs> Everyone else is fine. Everyone go home. You though. But the other moms, really, they were crying like mad. I, can so I, I don't know why. I mean. Anyways, we got, so for that, our punishment ended up being 100 hours of community service at False Bay Hospital. You remember Yo. that? But that all coincided, just to refresh your memory, because you forget about the sex ordeal, that coincided with the unfortunate mistake of burning this house down which just happened to be... So how, I just need to understand how much of the house burned down. Like half? Yeah, like three at least quarters. half. No, the, 
all three three of the bedrooms were on fire. The roof was burnt out and the whole house needed to be redone. But the sad part of that was I came back from my school drive and when I came into this road, all the neighbors outside saying, your house is on fire. And Mike was in it because he didn't get up at that time of the morning. Yo. And nobody really knew where Mike was. But that we mm. stayed there for a year while I... Yeah, that was the more serious thing is we nearly lost my dad. He was in the fire. Did he at least... He was crawling around on the floor. Under the smoke. Under the smoke. Because the house filled with smoke. So this wasn't, yeah, I'm assuming, this door. So he couldn't get out the room to just run outside. No, but he he wanted to look for the kids because he thought they were still in bed. Yeah, this is all very traumatic for my father, actually, because he woke up in a cloud of smoke crawled on the floor to our beds with black smoke ahead of him and then just saw the children's where the fire originated in my room there just on fire he made it kind of crawling out to the front door and then I think got pulled out by one of the neighbors more or less Mm -hmm. like did you immediately think oh my word I left my white pants on the heater I knew what it was yeah because I, so I had to wake up a bit before everyone else and I was, I hated it. Like I hated getting up in the dark on my own in the house. And so in winter, I had the panel heater there and I used to the night before because I was so bad Those in the old morning. old school like yeah. iron ones, right? I used to hang my socks and my shirt yeah, and dude, my I pants. Did the same, yeah. yeah. Even uh, the best was the undies. Oh, wow. Undies on the heater yeah. and then you put on like these warm underwear oh so that's what i did i used to hang it there and then i would lie as i would my alarm would go off i'd wake up and i'd immediately next next my bed switch the panel heater on and lie there for 20 minutes while my clothes got warm and then put them on never take time to pack myself lunch or nothing just walk straight down to the road very upset about it all but that weekend i had gone to this party in in Com, and it was like a, a 70s party and I had these synthetic white bell bottoms that were also over the panel heater just laying there from the weekend mm. and that was I knew when they said the house on fire I was like fuck I left my heater on that all happened mm. at the same time in the same like couple of months that I had the graffiti incident and the community service mm. and then left sex, whether I was asked or whether you asked is maybe a bit blurry. I always thought that they asked no, me to leave. We took you out. You say you took us out. Anyways, then we went to read him and then they said, yeah, okay, we accept him, but on probation and no one must on find out. On probation of him burning the school down. No, no. <laughs> on probation of no one finding out at the school that I was doing a year of, well, a hundred hours of community service at False Bay. And so that was like the big secret that I had to, and I had to improve my marks from Saks. I was getting straight D's and failing almost everything. And then I had to improve to get a, they basically put, remember, they were like, you have to basically improve your marks to a C plus and you have to not let anyone find out about this. <laughs> stuff so the first six months of Redham, i was on probation there and this was all going on and i was then trying to figure out what am i going to do with my life i was so confused and i just thought to myself well for sure it's not going to be like the nice thing about when i went to Redham is that i got to drop some of the subjects i was doing at sax that i didn't like and i got to do drama and art okay. and for the first time in my life i got to start doing 
subjects that I really loved and enjoyed and I excelled at. And at Redmond, those early days, they'd poached all the best teachers. And so the learning environment was great and we managed to get there. And I got good marks and... And then you went to UCT. Yes. Um, did you finish business science? Yes, yeah, yeah, I was very stubborn. I stayed and I did that degree and I thought, well, if I get a business degree, then I'm going to maybe be okay. Then I can leave my troubled teenage years behind and I can do something where I can have some potential. But then as I got deeper into that degree, I realized that this is like, also I'm going to be so unhappy. I really struggled. And that's in my second year of university when I was doing a subject called financial maths, which is the a mixture of the two worst things you could possibly put together. I'm already exhausted together. just hearing you say that. That's when I went and bought a loop pedal. I went and buy, like went to the music store. I just started playing guitar on the way into UCT every day because it was an hour long drive in the morning and an hour in the afternoon. You know where you had your CDs flipped down and you could put your CDs there by your by yeah. your head? Yeah. I had my Beck Flakies all there. Like a whole bunch of harmonicas and I would just pl- put music on and I would play and learn harmonica on the way and on the way back. So that's where harmonica came from. I mean, that's two hours every day that, you Tell, pra- that yeah. you're getting practice. And if you play an instrument for two hours a day, you're going to get good at it. I was getting serious practice time and then I was basically coming home and studying for like financial maths and actually practicing on this new loop pedal thing that I had. When did you realize, Brigitte, that, okay, there's something here with the, with the music? Was it like his first paying gig or was it already when he was playing, you know, while he was studying? Or Because I always think for the mom, there's like a moment where you go, okay, hold on a second. This might actually become something real, like a career. He was playing in his room day and night. Mm. whenever he could and I would go in and out of there and he played the whole night therefore I could never sleep Mm. but I would never disturb him I would rather not sleep yeah wow Um, and then one day I walked in there and he was playing his whatever again and I said where is your voice why are you not singing yeah I never sang he never sang and I kept on harping on this for a few months, maybe. Where is your voice? Oh, that's true. You actually did. You were one of the only people who was giving me a hard time about that in the beginning. Because I knew there was a voice in there. I always thought I had the worst voice. I've, I've, I have got a lot of, now they say I've got a lot of character in my voice. So that's a lot of the artists who make it uh, are artists who's, uh, vocals record well because if you don't sound good on record if you just sound nice then you could be any backup singer yeah but i i have a very gravelly voice it's always breaking when i go on tour sometimes i lose it for extended parts of the tour and have to go and sing like with a horrific voice so i've always even then i was struggling to i never had like a nice clean perfect voice and so I was just thought, well, I surely will. If I'm going to do anything, I'm going to do some of this beatbox, harmonica, looping stuff. 
and someone else must do the singing. But you were heckling me about the singing in the beginning a lot, yeah. So then from then on, I definitely knew there is something yeah. coming. Okay. Something was brewing. And then there was, <laughs> did Mo join very shortly after that? Or maybe it was still somebody else. And I said, why don't you guys just go and do some, some basking somewhere? I want to see you basking sometime. You're taking credit for my basking now. No, I'm just saying I wanted to see you basking because I, I, I saw... I was just trying to make some money. <laughs> well, I saw something coming. Yeah. But how? Anyway. Well, was that that rapping homie from UCT? Yeah. So Mo and I, he, I was doing lots of this like live looping and I... Then I went and worked on yachts, remember? I went and did the oh. super yachting thing oh. because I finished my honours... I didn't have any cash. And I ended up on this Russian oligarchs super yacht and in Italy. And then that was much more cushy other than having to every now and then deal with this bra who was a hectic man. And um, this is the oligarch. Yeah, again, you don't want to mention names or I'll probably come after you those. those. But he, I got paid well there and I did, we sailed around the world and it was easy and I had a job. So what was your job on the boat? I was the deckhand. Yeah, you basically scrub decks and polish stainless which i had got plenty of experience at at the false bay hospital so it was all working out quite nicely in my skill set full circle it's all coming full circle yeah the skill set was coming together finally i felt and then i did that but i was then and then i made friends with the captain a lovely guy who i'm still in touch with and he said you know if you love if you want because the captain's not around, I mean, the boss isn't around very often. They only Those bosses only come and be on their boat for a few weeks a year. You know, they come yeah. every six months for two weeks, something like that. So the rest of the time, you're all just like kind of mice and the cats. Living you know? on the boat. And uh, so he said, yeah, you can make this the gym on the sky deck on the third floor into your studio as long as it's after hours, after 8.30. So when the crew have all done their gymming. So I used to go there and had in the cupboard like a carpet and my loop pedal and a little microphone and all these things that I'd been slowly bringing over there and accumulating like a mini studio. And then at eight 30 every night for the better part of those two years that I worked on that boat, I would go upstairs and I also didn't have any real, I didn't have much of a social life. Like a lot of those people in those yachts are doing lots of drugs and having lots of jaws. It's a hectic going, going onto land. Yeah. You go out at night and everyone goes, hectic jawling and I was like I, I had to save all my money because I had these other plans to come back and do something with some money and so that was yeah not an option for me and I went up there and everyone was finished gymming and I wanted to just set up my studio and make make music into the night mm-hmm. and then I got back from the yachts and I needed I knew I needed to make something of myself I just didn't know how um, and I think that's a feeling a lot of young South Africans have is like we don't have a system that can support many people yeah. and so like your options are so limited like you either need to be an entrepreneur of some sort yeah. or you need to be the most studious like the top 10 percent in your class at university and maybe in you whatever can get job yeah. one of those jobs but for everyone else like you've got to really find a way and i knew that and i just didn't know what it was and so i'd had that pressure i think on my back for my as long as i could remember and at the age of 26 i finally said that's it like I've saved 30,000 euros now. And now for the next year, I want no one to tell me anything about what I should do. I'm just going to do what I want to do. And that was when I met my old high school friend, Misha. 
we started an organization with his partner at the time, Lauren, was partner Lauren, the three of us. Now we co-founded an organization called Green Pop, which was all about planting trees. And we wanted to plant trees and under green spaces around Cape Town. And that's what I did. So at the, in the beginning, when I got back, we just started all planting trees. And we did these things called park parkings where we would, in the long street, roll out some fake grass, build a a little lounge there. I would sit and loop and make jamming music, whatever I could come up with. And they would all walk into the, uh, into the traffic and sell these little tree coupons for 50 bucks. And the pitch was, well, you buy a tree from us and you get this little thing to hang around your neck or put in your car and we'll go plant this in an underprivileged school, orphanage, old age home. And that was our mission. Did you guys make any money from that or was it just? Uh, no, not in the beginning. In the be for that first year, we were playing ourselves salaries of, I think, 2,000 Rand. It was like really not about making money, but we did rally an entire movement of yeah. youngsters who wow. got involved. And as a result, a few months passed and we've, we had planted a, a thousand trees um, now at a whole bunch of these schools in the Western Cape. And so we threw a big party to celebrate. It was called the Night of a Thousand Trees. Assembly in town gave us a free night to Yo, fundraise. Shout out to Assembly. Shout out to Assembly. Some of our first comedy nights were there. Dude. Really? We, we, yeah. we used to run a gig called Assembly Comedy. Anyway, yeah, thank you to Assembly. Yeah, yeah, they were big supporters. So they allowed us to throw a show. I remember I phoned. Then I, because I was into music, the agreement was, well, you deal with the bands and we'll deal with all this other stuff. So I thought, well, flip it. Maybe this is my opportunity to get on stage. So I phoned. I remember I got Desmond and the Tutus. Yeah. They did a free gig <clears throat> as a to help fundraise for us. And there was another band who's, uh, who eludes me right now. And then I basically thought, well, I'm actually just going to put myself on as the opener. So yeah. I put myself on opening the show. And wh what was your name then? Yeah, that, that was, opening. no, I, I, I figured uh, I chose Jeremy Loops at the last moment. It was all sorts of- Because you lived on Loop Street. Yeah, and, well, just because I- I thought, always thought it was the loop pedal. It's the loop pedal, but you also li <laughs> well, no, you, you no, lived in Commercial Street. No, but my nickname also at, at university was Loopholes because I was always snaking around and not really present. So they called me Loopholes. And oh. then I got into looping, which was like the best loophole of all because <laughs> you didn't need a band. Like I didn't have the skills. I didn't know how to be in a band because I had no formal training. So I had no capacity to build a band, but I could sit there and tinker on my loop pedal and make my own one-man band. I thought it was like the ultimate loophole. Yeah. So Jeremy Loops felt, felt very natural from all these coinciding oh. and living on Loop Street. All these things came together. And so I just went with that. And then that first show went so well. Um, and then my, yeah, the guy who worked with me at Green Pop there, he said, well, I'll manage you if you can, you know, then you just be the CFO of Green Pop. I'll be your manager, Jeremy Loops. And we do these things so yeah, we lived in the same house, little apartment in the city there. And we ran Green Pop, this tree planting organization and drank a lot of coffee. And I was practicing looping and that's how it all started. Um, I always ask the moms this, what highlight is there for you about his career, a show he's done, a song he's brought out and a low light? Well, my favorite song is maybe the least favorite song. Um, it was called 
vultures. Because vultures, I think it's almost like he saw the future. I think the party's over and it's all about to change. What is it about? It's, well, you say, like the, the party's over, the chandeliers are broken. Yeah, it was about the, the, the impending burning down of the proverbial house that it, I kind of felt was, yeah, at that stage felt like it was coming. And yeah, there's lyrics in there like, and the doors are blowing open of this old home, decomposed. Yeah, it was about the the way the vultures are circling. It felt like the vultures are circling. About what life stage is this of yours? This was like six to eight years ago. You know, maybe, I don't know what was going on in my mind exactly about it, but it just, I started feeling very uneasy, like the way that everyone was feeling in COVID about Mm. like, oh, fuck, the world is legit actually over as we know it. And And that's why you're saying it was, you were setting the future. Yeah, it felt like I, I felt that, how it felt in COVID for everyone when everyone was like, oh man, this is potentially the end of the golden age that we had, you know, and from now on the world will be forever, maybe slightly different, maybe harder, maybe some of the traditional things we thought were happening are not going to happen like that anymore. And I was feeling like that, like seven to eight years ago when I wrote the song Vultures, I was like, something's shifting and it's not going to be the same. And the the chandeliers are broken of this old home right now and the vultures are circling and I can, and they're going to smile at you while they're picking your bones. Pick, pick your bones. Um, and we've been sold down the river. Um, That's like slaves sailing down the river. Yeah, it was. Well, that was not, that had nothing to do with slaves, but that saying came that's from. What, that's what <laughs> yeah, they used a, to do. Oh. I mean. Yeah, that saying, that there's a line in the song, we've been sold down the river, now we're never going home. And it's just, uh, I was le- reading some book and about how that was a term that actually came from the slave trade where people were put on boats and sold down the river and they had no idea where they had come from and if they would ever get back Mm. they were just kind of like gone adrift and it was kind of the metaphor I was using for what it felt like we were all heading into this season of being adrift in this world heading into climate crisis and financial crisis and separation and people not seeing eye to eye anymore and just inequality like rampant and almost no hope that we could ever pull it back at the moment, it's just I, I kind of got hopeless there some years ago. But it's it was, I think, one of your most beautiful songs. But now you say it's number three on Spotify. I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was a slow. It never was big at the time, and it's it's grown slowly and found its way home, and it's got lots of streams now. But yeah, we don't play it. I find it sad to sing that song, so we don't play it so much. Mm. But and it has a positive ending. That song. Saying what? What well, says? That nature will take over, like if we destroy ourselves, nature will take over and things will regrow and we'll, there'll be a new life. Like the world is tough and ready to evolve. And if we don't, if humans don't make it through in quite the way we are knowing now, like people will make it as well. We'll make it, but it'll just look 
different. Yeah. And the, the nature will grow through the cracks again. Um, which is just kind of feeling like what needs to happen a little bit, you know. The yeah. nature needs to take over again. So what, what does your dad do? My dad, he's had a, a history of many different things he's worked in, but the thing that sticks out in relation to my music career was that growing up, he was a puppeteer. So wow. he used to be a, you know, like at school where you'd have puppet shows come once a year and they would set up. And your dad? That was my dad there doing that. He was a one-man band puppet that's a, show. That's a tough job, babe. And he used to tour he up and down fucking kids. the country. But we were very young when he stopped being a puppeteer. That was from when I was like born until, well, like, when, yeah, until 12 years old, right? He did it for like maybe 12 years, but got very good at it and put on these beautiful puppet shows and no, he was good at that stuff. And I think like I never fully appreciated why I felt so comfortable on the road and why I loved it. But now that I get older and I think back to, because that was, it feels so long ago. You know, he did lots of other things and businesses after that, that he left that puppeteer lifestyle behind. But he actually, we've still got puppets of his in the attic. He built beautiful puppets and was very creative and then had to go and tour the country. And so we used to go in the Combi as a young family, all there cruising up the coast. And so I got to do like the touring thing long before. And even I knew about like show dynamics because they used to say the kids like, if I wanted to go play TV games at the Breakers Sun Resort in Umschlanga Rocks there where he was doing a performance, then I had to stay for the first like 15 minutes of the show and basically like clap my ha- ass off and make make a good show. <laughs> hype up hype the crowd. The, hype the vibe. Then I could go and like, you know, once the, the audience was secured, then I could go. So I was actually learning these things, you know, from a young age, which I never thought about as I came up. I was, but I was always comfortable on the road. So it was, yeah. Thank you so much. Thanks for chatting me to me today. Um, Jeremy, thank you for yeah, making lovely. time Thanks your for international ske- schedule to be here in, Kom- in Komiki. In, yeah. It's lovely for me no, to, we really... to come here. Thank you for the cheeses. I'm going to eat all of them now as we cut because just the whole been... interview, I've just been eyeing those cheeses and I'm like, She's put two I just of can't. Swiss, there's two Swiss cheeses there you must try. I will. Thank you, guys. Thanks, thank all. You. Thanks, Brigitte. Thanks, Thanks, Thanks for Jeremy. Us. Cheers. You. I hope you enjoyed our chat with Jeremy and Mama Loops. I've certainly learned a lot, but if there's one thing to take home from today, it's don't leave your white bell bottoms lying on the heater, otherwise you might not have a home at all. Too soon? Your Mom with Skulk is a telltale media production and hosted by me, Skulk Besaitner. Once again, please hit the subscribe button on your podcast app. Go to check out the video on YouTube and all that lacquer stuff. That's it for today, but I'll catch you next week for another chat with another tummy.